0: Welcome back to another episode of Colony
1: Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about the anime series, the movies, Gunpla, Gundam music, Gundam lore, ideas, anything and everything Gundam. Isn't that right, Brian?
0: That's right. Anything is fair game. And today's topic, Isaac, is something we've not uh, done before. We're going to talk about a compilation movie. That was recently made available on the official Gundam YouTube channel. Which for anyone who doesn't know is Gundam Info on YouTube. So we you should go subscribe.
1: Yeah, check it
0: out. And
1: what is that movie, Isaac? This is a very special movie that is uh, based on a series near and dear to my heart. Because it was the first series that introduced me to Gundam. The movie we watched and will be talking about today is Mobile Suit Gundam 0083. The Afterglow of Xeon.
0: I am very curious to see if your (laughs) love for the source material, the the source series, influences your opinion of this compilation movie, Isaac.
1: I'd say it did to an extent, but before we get to that, did you know that this movie existed, Brian? Did you know that there was a compilation of Double 83 that was way, really condensed the story?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an understatement for sure. Yeah. I did. I did know it existed. But I also didn't, and the reason I say that is because the movie that's on YouTube is, as you said, called uh, The Afterglow of Zeon. I knew it by its original name, The Last Blitz of Zeon. So some of you may have read, you know, if you've been a fan of Gundam for a long time and you're on the Internet for years and years reading about things, you may have seen something called The Last Blitz of Zeon, and that's what this is. So yes. the, the, what what's going on here is basically this is a compilation film of the 13-episode OVA series called Mobile Suit Gundam 0083, Stardust Memory. And that OVA series, pay attention here, Isaac, came out oh. from May 1991 through September of 1992. So I think it, they released a, a, like an episode or two every month or every few months. Okay. That's pretty standard with OVAs. Now, the Afterglow of Xeon was released in Japanese theaters on August 29th of 1992. So let me repeat those dates. The OVA series came out from May of 91 to September of 92, but the compilation movie was released before the last volume of the OVA series came out.
1: Was this, like, uh, insurance for themselves, really? They're like, okay, if people don't get those last two episodes, we'll at least have a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe. uh, You know, Sunrise in general,
0: with the Gundam franchise, they love to... Repackage series into compilation movies sure. and vice versa we saw the opposite right with unicorn right they turned those seven ovas into a series and they're doing the same with uh reconguista and g they're turning that into i believe compilation movies or something like that it's just very slow going good
1: <laughs> so i think that's very strange right isaac that's just weird I mean maybe we just view things differently but it would make more sense to finish a series and then say hey by the way we decided to make a compilation movie you know we cut off a lot of stuff that maybe the movie editor thought was unnecessary to the story here it is it's just two hours you know in case you don't want to watch the whole series. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, could be. I mean, it, yeah, and you're right.
0: It could be like a last blitz of, <laughs> no pun intended, it could be a last Sing. blitz of, of uh, marketing and media to get people to see the ending.
1: Right. Or, as we saw in this version, Brian, they could sneak in some uh, some unreleased animated scenes and hope that the fans would still buy it or at least see it, you know, because they want to see everything. You know, if they liked Double 83 the series, why wouldn't they check out the movie? Totally agree, um, and I was actually going to ask you about those oh. animated
0: scenes. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. uh but sure. we'll, we'll get there. And so when it was originally released in theaters, Isaac, that's when it was called Mobile Suit Gundam Double Eighty Three: The Last Blitz of Zeon.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: And apparently, it has a third name that it sometimes goes by, which I had not heard. This one until I read the wiki. But then that is uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Double Eighty Three: The Fading Light of Zeon. So hmm. I can't tell for sure when Afterglow was first used, the title Afterglow of Xeon. Uh, I think it may have been 2006 in Europe, but if anyone knows the okay. definitive answer, I, I would like to know. I'm most familiar with The Last Blitz of Xeon because, again, that's how I remember it being referred to in like the early to mid-2000s when I would have been reading about this stuff. Yeah. So with that said, you got three titles, Isaac. Which one do you like best? Personally, I think I like Afterglow best. I think that's
1: a great title. It's a tie between Afterglow and Last Blitz of Zeon. As far as why there's three names, may be, maybe even why the movie was created, this might be a case of there being too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Maybe this was on the books for a long time. They were like, okay, we'll create this story. We're probably going to do an anime series, but maybe we'll do a, a movie. And then at some point, you know, maybe the project said, okay, we'll split in half. You know, we'll release a series. And then at the end... People want to just see the movie. We'll do the movie too. So, and then and we can give it three names. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just never so, know. They'll just keep yeah, buying it. Said, They'll buy it. three so The real fans will get all three. <laughs> <laughs> so usually when we watch a show, I
0: like to look up about what other formats uh, the show is in, including compilation movies and mangas. I'm not even going to go into the manga uh, landscape on this show because we're just going to stick to the compilation movie today i'll save the manga diatribe for when we uh review the series maybe in like a year or something give it a little time to rest but isaac just to preface i think there are at least four different manga adaptations of this story
1: oh god the you mean four as in from beginning to end yes yes switched it up yes you know what that's a lot but at the same time that just shows how good double 83 was right i mean yeah it's kind of famous for having a couple of annoying characters <laughs> but it has such great anime i was watching i mean sorry such great animation i was watching the movie and i was i was just blown away by how good the animation still is it still holds up brian
0: yep I agree it does it does
1: the score is great whoever did the music shout out to you you're probably in japan great job <laughs> Because, like, man, it's just a great series. And I'll say this about the movie, bringing us back to the movie and the inevitable comparison to the series. I wouldn't say it's the boiled down version of Double (laughs) 83. I'd say it's Double 83, but really focusing almost exclusively on the whole political plot that was happening at the time. So the military campaign and, you know, behind the scenes politics a little bit, but next to nothing about the personal drama between everybody involved you barely get like three-way romance right it's it's all business this is double 83 all business
0: (laughs) yeah agree this is the montage version of double 83
1: it's the spark oh god i'm about to date myself this is the spark notes (laughs) (laughs) the cliff notes or whatever you know like you you had to grab the book on the way to your exam (laughs) yeah yeah So this tells you just the broad strokes. (laughs) You know what struck me, Isaac,
0: immediately? If you look at the runtime of this film, it is one hour, 59 minutes, and some change. You know what that means? That means someone was given a directive, you have to get this under two hours. And (laughs) and as soon as they got it to under two hours and it made sense, they stopped. (laughs) I mean,
1: uh, movies are generally two hours, right? So they were probably told, hey, uh, feature length film it. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. So, to their credit, they stuffed it as much as they could
0: <laughs> They did, they got two hours and, and no more out of this So with that, Isaac, let's let's hear the synopsis uh, This is the one I saw most frequently And I, I think it's probably the best one Okay. So UC0083, three years after the end of the catastrophic one-year war Peace on Earth and the colonies is shattered by the presence of the Dalaz fleet A rogue Xeon military group loyal to the ideals of the late dictator Girenzabi. DeLa's Fleet's ace pilot, Anavel Gato, once hailed as the Nightmare of Solomon, infiltrates the Federation's Torrington base in Australia and steals the nuclear-armed Gundam GP-02. Rookie pilot, Ko Uraki, with the aid of Anaheim Electronics Engineer Nina Purpleton, and the crew of the carrier Albion pilots the Gundam GP-01 prototype in an attempt to recover the stolen Gundam unit and prevent another war from breaking out.
1: That really sums it up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> no argument here. It's double eighty three. It's just packed down to two hours. All right. What I, one of the things I liked in this series, starting right off, is I don't know if this was something they cut from the original series, but they showed us the colonies being moved at the beginning. So really major foreshadowing and um, kind of a Chekhov's gun thing, right, where they show something that's going to become really important later on.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad you brought that up because I did not yeah. remember that in the original show. Yeah. So it sounds like. You don't remember either, which means it probably was added animation then.
1: Right. I also didn't remember, maybe they even changed this, that they were headed towards Site 3. I was thinking to myself, like, what? There's Xeon. (laughs) Supposedly, in my version that I watched, it said that um, Xeon has the most industrial capacity left. Right. But uh, I don't think that meshes too well with the lore and stuff. But whatever. (laughs) Anyways it opens with Nina narrating and she does jump in a couple more times in the movie to give some narration. So we're to take it that this is sort of the Nina version of events, right?
0: My overall thought on the compilation is actually that this whole thing basically seems like Nina's hazy memories of the events. And I think that was part, I Ah. think I feel that way because of this opening narration, which I also had on my list of, of things that I liked the best. I thought her intro and voiceover about the one year war followed by the colony workers, Uh, repairing a colony and then seeing the two colonies fly by, you know, on their way to side three. I thought that was a perfect way to open it because it gave the viewer uh, an understanding of what you were watching and enough background to get into the movie. And then one of my favorite parts of the movie is very simple, Isaac. But right after that explanation, right after you see the colonies, it goes dark for a little bit. You get some text. And then we go back to space, and the first thing you hear, you don't even know who DeLaz is yet. But DeLaz says, For three long years we have waited. And then, boom, the title screen, Afterglow of Zeon. I thought that was perfect because, again, at this point, you don't know who DeLaz is. But based on what he just said, you know he's about to come at you and he's about to come at you fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty cool opening. I thought we might get one of the intro musics. <laughs> the mm-hmm. intro songs. I was hoping, yeah. Yeah, but then I was like, you know what? They're doing it really straightforward as a movie. So no, no music like that. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I noticed it was weird. I don't remember in the original series, but um, when Gato actually goes to GP two, Nina sees him there, but she doesn't say Gato or anything. I don't remember if maybe you do. Did she recognize him in the original series? Well,
0: I'll, I'll be honest. When I, when I first watched the original series, and we've already discussed how dumb I am for this, I did not even pick up that they were uh, ex lovers. Okay. And I think I think that's <laughs> what actually contributed to me thinking that. Or not even thinking that that was a possibility. Yeah, she sees him, but she doesn't really say anything for a while.
1: Yeah, she's not like Gato. What are you doing? Get out of there!
0: Yeah, and she wouldn't call him Gato, right? Wouldn't she be like Annabelle or Annie or what? You know, whatever she would call him. It would seem o- odd to me to call your your ex by their last name. That seems a little strange. So maybe that really
1: it was like that turned him on. <laughs> <laughs> that boiled his goat brain. <laughs> That shot is Scooter. <laughs> Call me the nightmare of Solomon. <laughs> Call me Gato. It's Spanish for cat. Oh, yeah. That really <laughs> butters my biscuit when you say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the in-universe the in- explanation was that he was too far and she couldn't see that it was him or something. I guess. But <laughs> Gato has like a really unique hairstyle. though. <laughs> he does. Yeah.
1: But anyways, moving right along. I always thought it was interesting, too, that, um, you know, Gato said this whole operation will rebirth Zeon. How? How on God's green earth could that possibly happen? Like, I know the laws has been kind of, you know, spending his brain with, with ideas, but I really don't see how... <sighs> Do you? I mean, maybe he thought that
0: it would spark more of an interest from the people at Axis who are remaining
1: somewhat neutral and get mm-hmm. them more involved. I- I'm not sure. Okay. One of the scenes I really liked was, and I forgot, was um, Delaz's throne room and how vain he became in like <laughs> the three years since the war ended. Yes. Because that was a legit throne room, wasn't it? It was,
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, complete with the bust of Giranzabi.
1: Oh, yeah. He was like, you know, when, when we win the war, this new war that we're going to start, <laughs> I'm going to be the ruler of everything. <laughs> he was definitely very effective, as we've discussed in
0: the past. Maybe one of the most effective things that Zion's done. But, yeah, I, yeah, he did have a bit, a bit of a
1: complex, just like uh, just like his idol, perhaps. Speak, speaking of complex, he didn't give Gato the courtesy to tell him that, like, by the way, Shima's hiding in the room somewhere. Yes. I, <laughs> she, she's hiding under the curtains with her little feet sticking out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that this time, that, that he was very upset. He must have not realized that she was taking part, which seems odd, right? It, it, if I feel like... All the major players would know each other. So, yeah, that was clearly intentional on Delaz's part.
1: Uh, it was good to see Shima again in her poncho. That is so cool. I really like her, like, poncho and her whole little outfit. Her dramatic fan.
0: Yes, she has to have her fan. And also, what, what, what's more dramatic, her poncho and fan or the fact that she makes some of her male crewmen not wear undershirts and have, like, really deep V-neck uniforms? <laughs>
1: I'm going to say her own outfit because if she's walking around with like a fan <laughs> and a poncho, she probably told her troops, you know what? The war's over. Just d- dress however you want when we're actually doing things.
0: <laughs> because she has the fan, I have to ask this question. Do you think that some of her male crewmen have the, the deep V-neck uniforms with no undershirts because <laughs> it's like they're her, her, her harem?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, so, so she gets. <laughs>
0: or is it because it's really hot on her ship, which is also the reason why she has the fan?
1: that's true oh maybe like their HVAC system was damaged at one point and they never really fixed it because they never returned a port yeah so like er everybody's just wearing like one layer you know you're allowed to pop your buttons and stuff like (laughs) that And
0: some of the crew were just like "f it." Yeah. I'm just gonna cut it out.
1: But she knows her her uh, she knows her poncho looks really cool, so she refuses not to wear it. It's got to be sweaty in that thing, right? Yeah. She's like, you know what? I'm just gonna fan myself so I can look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, "Oh, you know, she likes her." Her crew To kind of show some skin And when she gets hot and bothered She just opens up the fan And and brings herself back to her senses
0: (laughs) That or they're just At her uh, beck and call When she needs them
1: (laughs) Will that be the new anime series We'll do like a reverse harem Starring Shima Yeah The Shima side story
0: (laughs) Yeah Female empowerment man Shima and the meat ship (laughs) (laughs) Yeah it's the reverse of the guy From Iron-Blooded Orphans
1: What was his name? Who? Oh wait Not Biscuit No not No not Biscuit Oh (laughs) Biscuit, I know who you're talking about. The, the, Orgas, bro. Yeah, Orgas, more successful, wiser guy. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I noticed that was kind of gave me a question mark is why did they bring back the whole? It's almost its own subplot because it keeps coming up again in in multiple episodes in the series. Is the, the whole carrot thing with Ko. He just doesn't like carrots. I don't, I never found that funny in the original series. I never understood why they decided to bring it here. Why, Brian? <laughs> why?
0: So I wrote this down as well. My my note was, of all things they chose that, to make it into this two hours, they chose to include that Ko doesn't like carrots. And at first I thought that was a negative, but then I realized that Ko really doesn't have a whole lot of defining features. He's pretty bland um, as far as Gunnum yeah. protagonist go. And so I'm pretty sure the director, whoever, I'm sure they were like, you know what? This is a unique personality thing for Ko and it does, you know, get him into certain scenarios with his friends. So I probably need to include it. Now they didn't include maybe all the parts of it, but they did include some of it. So I think it was just an attempt to kind of give Ko some, some personality.
1: Interesting. Maybe one, one thing I read, I'm not sure how accurate this is, the voice actor for him in the Japanese version Doesn't like carrots. And apparently he's famous for not liking carrots or something like that. Who Mm. knows? So they decided to carry that over for Ko. But that just sounds so bizarre. I have a hard time believing that it's actually true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I could kind of believe that. Because, I mean, sometimes, you know, especially in animated series, uh, particularly animated films, if you get someone really famous to do a role, you might change some of the lines to maybe better fit their delivery or their style. Uh. Certain Pixar movies, you know, they'll they'll change the character's face a little bit to kind of look like the person who voices him, things like that. Okay. That's interesting. I I hadn't heard that one before, but I buy that.
1: Speaking of voice actors, Mancha's voice in the English dub of 0083 Stardust Memories is this really annoying voice to fit his character. Yeah. But this Mancha came off sounding really reasonable, which, by the way, listeners, we watched this as a sub. There's there is no dub to our knowledge, but he had a really reasonable voice. It was way less annoying.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could that could also be attributable to you know you don't necessarily know what an annoying Japanese accent sounds like.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah,
0: but yeah, I agree. Mancha did not sound nearly as annoying in the in the sub. I mean, he definitely got the most screen time though out of all of the I'll say B cast right of the Immortal Fourth Team. Yeah. Uh, maybe Burning, I guess. But we didn't even, correct me if I'm wrong, Isaac, but we didn't even see Burning die in this one. Nope,
1: but we don't see him at the end either. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well, as you said, Brian, we're kind of on a fast forward here, right? We're we're sprinting through the story. <laughs> Quite the sprint. Something interesting, though, is I think there was a scene where Nina's meeting with Ko and um, Mancha at the cafeteria. She mentioned that she has the authority to decide who pilots the Gundam. I don't remember that in the original series. Does That makes like no sense. Why would an engineer from the company that designed it decide who gets to pilot it? Shouldn't it be Captain Synapse? One would think. I guess it depends on who
0: has custody of the Gundam at the moment. Like, Has Anaheim really given it to the Federation, or is it still technically Anaheim's property? Uh. I, I wasn't clear on this the first time I watched the show, and I, it didn't, I didn't get any more clarity uh, this time through this movie, but admiral was it cohen is he federation and anaheim or just federation or, or i both? think he's just federation oh. yeah okay but he's like in charge yeah. of the gdp which is an anaheim thing
1: uh it, he's uh, i guess they needed somebody in the military you know involved in it clearly you know probably yeah. told them what they wanted and then anaheim went around building it
0: that, that's what i'm saying though so if he's in charge yeah. of it but then nina has control of who pilots the gundam
1: he's not really in charge of it then I guess not, or at least I don't know, maybe that's small potatoes for him, yeah. like as far as he's concerned, as long as these prototypes you know are are proven, who cares who's piloting it it's It's kind of beneath him to even know, yeah, that's true, moving on though with my notes, Shima has a really cool command chair, it's like. <laughs> Like, okay, say what, you, like, Delos had a throne, right? But that was built for, like, one man, you know? Only one man can sit there. Ashima's command chair, it looks like she could, like, lay out, right? <laughs> uh, again, that's what I'm telling you, man. Those oh. those uh, those men are at her beck and call. I, I'm just saying. She had, like, a, what was it, like a white tiger's skin on it? Like the, the fur of a white tiger, <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And then behind her, she had some painting that I we, we can all assume that she looted, right?
0: Oh yeah, she no. did.
1: I don't think she's an a budding artist or like you know a member of the crew painted that, and she liked it so much, she said, you know what, guys, we're putting this on the bridge, like <laughs> like you like you tell a child that when you're gonna put like the macaroni painting on the fridge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, particularly with her, to what has happened to her in the past, uh, I think yeah. looting the painting would probably make sense.
1: Why not? But Shima's so cool. She's such a good pilot. One of the best scenes I've seen, maybe it's like it's like a wallpaper-appropriate screenshot. It's when Shima is, uh, her fleet goes down to their first fight, and she's in a Gelgu, and she like lands on top of the bridge of a Solemnus and shoots down into it and explodes. I always thought that was such a cool image. That is a great scene, yeah. God, they're never going to put guns on top of the bridge of a Solemnus. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how many times that happens. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, we can't fix a good design I don't know <laughs> And then there's a scene where she was fighting Ko She switches to using her forearm guns Was she just toying with him, you think? Or does she, like, legit run out of ammo? Could have been
0: both, I do remember what you're talking about It could have been, you know, that maybe her rifle Was overheated or something That scene was really interesting Given that the GP1 took a lot of abuse In that scene, like, Ko was dead to rights
1: Yeah, I mean if she didn't use the forearm guns, I assumed he would have been dead, right? Because whatever rifle she was using had to be way more high-powered.
0: Yeah, probably. Another interesting part of that scene was that Ko did absolutely terribly against Shima.
1: Well, hang on. In his defense, this was when he went out in the Gundam, but what it didn't have the right, you know, uh, it didn't have the right data and uh, right adjustments.
0: Adjustments, right? Absolutely, because it was still it was sort of tuned for ground. But I, I I contest this. I it is his fault. You know why? Because Nina tried to give him the right adjustments to you. She gave him. She offered him the disc before he got in the Gundam. And he, he, like, moved her out of the way, and instead, he used his own calculations. Isaac, remember? He he got yeah. his little disc out, and he put that in, and he, and he still lost horribly to Shima. So you know what this means? That Ko is bad at math.
1: Probably. I mean, in his defense, he's a test pilot. He's not an engineer.
0: <laughs> right. But he should know that he's not the guy that should be adjusting the Gundam.
1: True, true. And for it, he almost died. He got beat up bad.
0: He did. This is on my list of negatives about the film, things that I like the Ooh. least. And it's just really just Co in general because he, him and Nina's relationship is already very iffy at best in right. the in the full length series. So all the compression, the, all the pacing issues in this sh- in this compilation movie just makes the Co Nina relationship that much worse.
1: Say what you will about the series overall, but I think you wouldn't find that many fans defending Co and Nina as characters. And more to the point, they never came back. <laughs> <laughs> in any form <laughs> yeah that's true right after this scene happens though and the little skirmish with uh, the Shima fleets done it cuts to snaps talking to I think Cohen or at least members of the Federation leadership and they say that they can't send in more ships to uh, search out the, sh- the Shoal Zone for Delaz and Shima and whoever else is out there did you take that or assume that that meant that at this point the Federation conspirators and the high levels of it, they were already cutting off the Albion at the knees. They didn't want them actually finding Shima or the Delaz the fleet. They gave them like two ships, if you remember. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I get... That's interesting. The guy's explanation for it was that they're just underestimating Unit 2. So you're saying that you don't really think it was an underestimation, that it was more purposeful than it was underestimation. Maybe some mix of both, but more
1: conspiratorial. Yeah, because... Everyone in the Federation that's part of the conspiracy, they don't want Shima damaged or hurt or defeated. They still need her fleet. They're their spies, you know.
0: Yeah, that's true. Taking a step back, it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to not commit resources to go look for the stolen nuclear Gundam that can take out your whole fleet. So, right. yeah, something's yeah. definitely wrong with that.
1: After this part, though, the story takes us to Luna, where the Albion gets to land and spend some time. And I forgot how good Luna was at simulating night and day, because it, it essentially looks like Earth in a lot of scenes, right? Mm-hmm. There's a scene where Ko wakes up in a bed, and it looks like it's daylight outside, like he's in he's somewhere on Earth. Yep. There's a scene where it's nighttime, and it looks like night on Earth. Yep. You know, so I'm, I'm glad we got to see so many good snippets of Luna in this series and in the original 0083.
0: Yeah, I agree, because we don't have a lot of Luna stuff in modern animation. Yeah. There is some in, like, Zeta, Double Zeta, I think. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't look as nice as the Double 83 stuff. Have we revisited Luna in anything? Not really. Was it in really. Unicorn well, at all? I don't
1: remember. Not too no. much, right, if it was? Origin, a little bit. Origin, yeah, with the Cassilia parts. That's about it recently, though. What was interesting, too, was that I guess space isn't at a premium on Luna. Because, if you remember, Kelly has, like a massive junkyard at his disposal. <laughs> like this junkyard was multiple football fields. <laughs> yeah. It's quite the hangar because it
0: stores his.
1: Oh yes. His Valvaro, his secret mobile armor, which we never see fight in this movie. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. just works on it.
0: <laughs> yes. This is one of my biggest complaints. I don't understand. Yeah. So I do understand why they included it. But it doesn't make sense that they cut it off. And I, I okay, let me take a step back. No, they you're right. They included this part with <laughs> Kelly to to further Ko's character because this is when he like really makes up his mind to be a pilot and basically stop being a wuss. And they have to have that for his character because again, they're not dealing with a whole lot of material on his character. But then they never show him fight it. That is what makes it weird. Like first of all, the introduction to yeah. Kelly is strange because that's already rushed compared to the the series. And then you're, he's just abruptly kind of gone, and he helps this dude fix his mobile armor, and, and then that's it. He's like, "Yeah, kid,
1: I'm gonna race it. I'm a racer. I, I use a mobile armor. I'm, a, I'm gonna go in the Luna Grand Prix." Nah, that's not a weapon. <laughs> like, like, co, what is he gonna do with it? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> if you had a neighbor and like you know he's a nice guy and sometimes you help him work on like his abrams tank you wouldn't (laughs) think oh yeah there's no harm you'd think oh my god this man has like a tank here in the suburbs Uh, there can be almost nothing good about this (laughs) how did he even get it in there yeah that was i was wondering we never got that backstory right i was trying to think okay Was it assigned to Kelly and he landed it on Luna at the end of the war? Was it at at Granada and it just never got deployed in a combat because the war ended? Did he find it in the junkyard? (laughs) I mean, a lot of unanswered questions about the Valvaro, which is arguably one of the most powerful mobile armors we see. Yeah, I don't know. And then it's just weird because you you show it to the audience and
0: then you don't get to see it fight in this film. So, I mean, I get they cut that part out because of time. You know, if I was doing this from scratch, I was like, I probably would have just cut that whole part.
1: Yeah, because missing out on that great fight was almost a crime in itself. That's a pretty big part of Double 0083. You shouldn't have gotten rid of the Valvaro fight.
0: Yeah, I don't know what I would have took out in its place, but... Yeah. It just... You either cut it out or show the whole thing. It was weird showing half of it and then not showing the Valvaro fight, but... So it goes.
1: Adding to the confusion, though, there's a scene where Kelly gets to see... A message from Gado, and the was like, welcoming him, and, you know, hey, we can't wait for you to join us. You know, this thing's getting started. Kelly's, like, drinking heavily, and he looks furious. I didn't understand why, though. I think he was more mad because that was the point in the original series where Shima told him, you know, thanks for fixing it. We're going to take it. You're not going to pilot it. Mm-hmm. You have one arm, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that could be one of those things where maybe they couldn't change the animation because that's what it was, and they had to just edit around it.
1: You know what? Godot really should have put his foot down when Shima was involved if he knew she would be the one going to talk to Kelly. Right. He probably I don't know. Well maybe he thinks Kelly still has two arms or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like uh if he if he knew Kelly had one arm, Shima's the last person who should deliver bad news to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna be so sassy about it. No wonder Kelly started drinking. <laughs> Her bedside manner is maybe not the best no you not yeah well i mean they can't send a laws but can't they send like one of the laws little lieutenants or something you know somebody yeah. somebody more professional <laughs> <laughs> but i'm um, going back to our little harem comments from earlier the head of anaheim electronics i, th- I assume he was a ceo or at least he's high up in the company oh uh, yes did, did he purposefully pick like only female engineers that were young women <laughs> It's a good point. Because, like, Nina and, like, all her friends and colleagues, they're all, like, women of the same age, if you noticed. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Is he some lecherous uh, executive? He's got his own harem side story, too. It's, you know, it's Anaheim Electronics, the, the hidden files. <laughs> oh, jeez. The Me Too yeah, files. Yeah. The Me Too files. <laughs> And at first I was like, I wrote in my notes, oh, all Anaheim Electronics only has young women engineers. And then they had that scene where Nina talks to her family friend that was like, well, you know, I put you on that ship and I should probably do a favor to your parents and transfer you off it. But he ended up being a man. He wasn't one of the young right. women. So yeah. I guess not everybody in engineering, but just their... Maybe she was part of like I don't know the graduating all female class of some private university or something. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they have some sort of feeder school, and there just happens to be a lot of
0: you know females enrolled or something, or or maybe maybe a lot of the men are out fighting the war.
1: There's no war. Well, (laughs) I mean, maybe they were
0: at the time that her you know class was in in session, and then she graduated now those those men know. are going back
1: and i, I don't know. actually no the, the explanation for this is that like Luna university their stem program for women is like the best in the earth sphere that's the only explanation <laughs> <laughs>
0: that ceo though didn't he get killed at the end
1: yeah he blows his own brands out yeah man. which i'll get to that but uh, i was thinking to myself what did he get out of this deal with the Shema Fleet, with the laws, because to an extent it went flawless, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, he did everything he had to do.
0: So I actually thought that they that they killed him.
1: Oh, the conspirators? You think the yeah. Federation didn't and want they the said, leak? Oh, he decided to blow his brains out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was how I took it. I didn't I didn't consider that he killed himself, oh. but uh, yeah, I guess that could be too.
1: That's actually a better explanation. That makes perfect sense then, because they wanted to tie up all the loose ends, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, you got that. Uh, th- this series is also famous, at least for me, for having a scene where Gato has his hair loose and he looks exactly like Char. He does. And, <laughs> and it drove me nuts the first time I saw this series, or at least a rewatch. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot Char shows up. And then like, he's talking and Kari walks in. And I'm like, all right, that's actually Gato. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what also is confusing about that scene is in that scene, his hair is colored blonde.
1: Yeah, he's in like... Yeah, whereas all other
0: scenes, it's really just like silver... Or white.
1: He's in like the Moose Eyes greenhouse or something. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, it's at this scene or at this part of the story where we're getting closer to the uh, the actual attack on Solomon by by Gato and the unit two with the nuke. And this Federation admiral, he really loves tea because he asked for tea twice in this movie. <laughs> first, first when they're at, actually at Solomon, right? They bring him some tea and stuff. He's in the command center. Then they actually go to the uh, the battleship Birmingham, and he asks for tea again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is that to drive home that the Federation are a bunch of tea
1: drinking, out of
0: touch, you know, rich people?
1: Apparently, because at Xeon we have iced coffee. <laughs> <laughs> as cold as our hearts. Are- um, oh, I forgot the Draw C had a beam saber. On the one hand, why would you give a beam saber to a Draw C? On the other hand, it's so weak anyways. Yeah, you should probably sacrifice the resources to give it a beam saber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I forgot how cool the, the, the Draw C's uh, mono eye was.
1: Yeah, they like they really went all out to make sure it could look anywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, up, above, back, around.
1: It was great. I liked that a lot. Yeah, and at, at Solomon, I forgot during the narrow review that... They thought it would be just brilliant, Brian, to have the crew of each of the ships standing on top of their actual ship <laughs> saluting the Birmingham <laughs> right before the nuke goes off. Yeah, I had
0: two thoughts about that. One, what a painful death given that you're outside the ship. Yeah. Maybe it's even quicker. I'm not sure. And and two, you know, on the list of good ideas, yeah, that is not on there. That is That is on the list of bad ideas.
1: Right, yeah. And... I I mean, you raised a good point there. Maybe they died faster, painlessly. On the other hand, I can't think that at a certain range, you wished you were inside your ship. Yeah, I mean, some of the ships
0: survived, right?
1: Yeah, because if you were inside the ship, you could have lived, you know, you you wouldn't be burned at all or not hurt at all. If you're on the surface and that went off uh, at a certain range, you're going to be ruined for life.
0: Yeah, you're toast. Yeah, So a few things about the nuke, Isaac. One, you'll notice that when uh, back when Gato stole uh, Unit Two, L- Nina had just finished loading the warhead. Right. Why did she even load it? I, I know she has to load it for the plot to work, but like, what 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 is the in-universe explanation for loading the warhead?
1: That's a good question. I'm trying to think. Like, were they going to test it at Torrington? Oh, sh- think about <laughs> it. They're in Australia, right? It's been depopulated because of the colony drop. What better place to test a nuclear weapon than Earth? Oh, uh, okay, okay. And a depopulated continent. All right, I, I, maybe know. I can get behind that. I mean, that that's really the only explanation, because otherwise, Jesus Christ, they're going to test the nuke that day. Who's going to go out in it? Well, that's burning? what I'm
0: saying. If, if Just in general, I would assume with nuclear safety, you would probably not load the warhead until you absolutely know you're going to use it, so... I, I, there ha- that has to be the explanation, otherwise Nina just wouldn't cavalierly be like, ah, let's pop the warhead in for a while, see if that could, like sp- or, you know, if you're just testing the loading
1: mechanism, don't use the real warhead. Yeah, well, you gotta remember, Brian, she can pick the pilot, she can do what she wants, it's her project. That's true. <laughs> and then also on the warhead, is this the biggest nuke ever? <laughs> Are you saying that because of the size of the detonation? Yes. Or the size of it when it was loaded?
0: Well, both, right? So, it in, yeah. I was thinking, like, okay, so, Sol, you know, uh, Gato flies to the top of Solomon, he says the iconic line, uh, you know, Solomon, I have returned, which is still probably one of the best parts of the show. Right. And he fires, and he just annihilates two-thirds of the Federation fleet. That is an enormous explosion, Isaac. How is it that big? Now, I know that this is literally a big nuclear warhead, because it's in a Gundam. The warhead is enormous compared to, like, a normal nuclear missile. Is that is that why, or is this
1: just some super nuke? I think it's half of Super Nuke. And let me explain. You have to remember when DeLaz was giving his little speech, he points out that the whole point of this nuke is to, you know, snuff out resistance from the colonies. So to an extent, it was an anti-Xeon nuke, which is not too far from saying it's an anti-colony nuke. Yeah. So... It would uh, wipe them out pretty quickly. But then again, Zeon showed that you really don't need super large nukes to take out colonies. Like, once you get one inside, it doesn't have to be super big to to wipe out a colony. Yeah, yeah. Cohen was going for broke, Brian. He really wanted something that would intimidate Zeon or any other Resistance members. So this really doesn't paint Cohen in a good light.
0: Yeah, a bit of an oops, huh? Yeah, pretty much. At the Naval Review, did you catch that it showed the two Pegasus classes?
1: No, they showed the Grey Phantom. I didn't see it.
0: So there was, a, there was a quick shot. It was maybe two, three seconds tops. They lingered on two Pegasus classes right next to each other. They were the, of the design of the Grey Phantom. And I, I went back to our Capital Ships episode and I went back through my notes. So those were two of any of the following three ships, at least. Uh, one, the Grey Phantom. Uh, we know the Grey Phantom survived the Naval Review because we see it later on Earth. Uh, In unicorn, it could have been the Troy horse, which the the fate of the Troy horse is unknown. But I believe it was also at the Naval Review, and the third one it could have been was the Stallion, and that one definitely was at the Naval Review and definitely was destroyed at the Naval Review. Wow! But we see two of them on screen, which is pretty cool because the two we see on screen are visibly not the Albion, but there's also a Pegasus class. So I feel like it's very rare that we see two Pegasus classes in the same show.
1: Yeah, I, that almost never happens, right? Cool. Oh, God. The, the, I, knew the, I knew the Great Phantom was going to be there, but I just didn't see it. Maybe I'll rewatch that part. We'll see. But um, something I, I didn't notice the first time was that during the fight with the mobile suits attacking parts of Solomon's space, one of the aces tells Ko uh, his Gundam could make it to Solomon in time to stop Gato. And number one, how did he know that? Number two, it's pretty nice of him to tell him that since Ko apparently didn't know that. (laughs) And number three, it was ultimately pointless because he was wrong. (laughs) You can't make it in
0: time. (laughs) I took it more of you're the only one that has a chance of stopping him. Ah, okay. Maybe you won't make it in time per se, but because really, Gato could have picked his shot. He didn't have to fly to the top of Solomon, right? I mean, he could have shot from any angle and really done... Generally the same amount of damage, probably.
1: That's true. Yeah. And t- to the guy's credit, I mean, Co arrives seconds after the nuke gets fired. So he did catch up to Gato just, you know, with seconds too late.
0: I mean, it was right after he had that those fancy new, you know,
1: verniers installed. Something I I've thought about, maybe you can... Actually, I want your thoughts on this, Brian. Okay. So the Admiral of the Fleet doing the review, he gets word that Gato's breaking through, right? at that point if you were him could you have shouted all right every ship scatter at maximum speed and it would have helped their losses um they did nothing (laughs) he stands there stunned as like he knows Gado's, you know at solomon probably really close to a ship ready to fire and he never they never gave the order every ship scatter run for it we messed up (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah i mean it it is definitely surprising they didn't do anything if they had just scattered at full speed some people probably would have gotten away that maybe otherwise would have died but you got to think also that there are people just out on the decks of these ships oh you got me there if they scatter they might hit each other and those people might fall off and you might end up causing a whole extra set of deaths i mean i guess they're all gonna die anyway i mean they don't they don't know that but
1: yeah, Admiral Bryan, those men and women are dead anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that'd be <laughs> They're a They're dead call. the moment Godo got there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny though, right? Because you put the Birmingham in the, in the dead center, right? The The, the safest place, yeah. which ironically ends up being the worst place because he, he he's trapped. He has nowhere to go in, in any direction to get out of there without running into yeah. anyone. That Admiral was clearly not in on it. He
1: was a bit clueless. Yeah, I yeah he was the sacrificial lamb to an extent. Oh, did we get a name on that, Admiral? A- Admiral T. That's his name. <laughs> Earl Grey. Admiral Earl Grey. <laughs> well, it works for me. Had, I think he had grey hair, right? So, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, after the nuke gets fired, Gato and Co battle it out with GP1 and GP2. And I like at this point how Gato... When they're uh, After after they've sort of Disabled each other And they both have to eject And you know Run for it Gato grabs Ko And like demands To know his name <laughs> <laughs> Yep We've seen that In a few series I think right It's kind of a trope Right It's, yeah. a, it's a Gundam Something you see Repeated in Gundam You know yeah. So uh, at this point In the story I realized We're not gonna get Any of the drama that happened in the personal lives, and I wrote down. You miss some of the drama in this one, but you get the main broad strokes of the political plot. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Nina jumps in again to narrate at this point because we see that cool scene where Shima's laughing as they blow off the the solar reflectors on two colonies, so that they destabilize, crash into each other, and one colony starts falling to the moon.
0: Yeah, I thought that part was just very well done. That, that's on my list of positives about this film is the whole yeah. colony jacking through line and that plays into the intro scene of the movie right because you see the two colonies and we see those same two i what i presume is those same two colonies crop up a few times during the film before the actual hijacking so as a viewer you're still kind of reminded oh th- there's those colonies that i saw in the beginning and then right yeah you get this scene where shima comes in for the kill and um and launches that whole operation, which was which was pretty neat. And then you get your
1: favorite scene where Nina uses the glasses to explain what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I like how she had to like stand by by Synapse's chair and like Synapse. If you watch the scene, Synapse had to get up and like walk to the other side of his desk to like watch <laughs> what she was doing. <laughs> like this really isn't that complex with the thing to explain. Like yeah. <laughs> but anyways, all right. At this point. They go to the Le'Veon Rose, where we see almost none of the events that happen there. Um, the the Albion leaves Levion Rose, and it's got the Dendrobium this time. And they're about to go into combat. And Ko, this is that cool scene where we see Co. inject something into his arm. I think we've seen it in a lot of other series where pilots, maybe in some downtime or if they've been fighting, they inject something into their arm. What do you think that is, Brian?
0: Some kind of stimulant, you know, amphetamines. Of course, Probably the same thing that Guineas was given his men in 8th MS team to get him to finish the Opsilus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Something tells me this is far more benign. <laughs> <laughs> the Dendrobium starts battling it out with the new mobile armor that Gato received from the uh, the Axis fleet, the Noya Zeal, which is maybe the best mobile armor Zeon ever had.
0: Oh, that's a great scene because Gato has one, one of the best yeah. lines in the show. He looks at it and he, he's just... Blown away, Isaac, at the beauty of the noise eel, uh, j- just as you are. And he says something like, it's as if the ideals of Zeon have taken form.
1: I mean, it's probably the best-looking mobile armor in any Gundam series. Yeah? Yeah, I'll stand by that. I'll stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> you, had
0: to, you had to convince yourself. I, I can tell it took a lot of convincing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was running through the mobile armors. I was like, what about the ones from Unicorn? I was like, you know what? At a certain point, they get too big. But... <laughs> <laughs> But, yes, best mobile armor ever, the the zeal. Uh, what was interesting, though, in his fight with Ko in the Dendrobium was that one of the doms flies up to, to Gato, if you remember, and says, uh, you know, I think he says, like, are you doing okay, Commander? Like, your beams can't hit him. <laughs> and I thought about that, and I was like, oh, shit. Was that Carius? No, cause, no, it wasn't. Okay, no, because this was, this was an older guy, and he dies like right after, like Co hits him with a missile. Oh, that's right. But, um, anyways, I, I thought about that, and I was like, "Holy shit, That guy's right, because the Noia Zeal, unless it's using its claws as you know weapons, right? Uh, it really only has beams, yeah. So it can't get through the Dendrobium's eye field, but the Dendrobium, which yeah, it's got its own eye field too, and can protect itself from Godo's blasts." It has all kinds of physical weapons, like rockets and missiles and things like that. So I think uh, this might be a case where the Federation out-engineered Zeon.
0: Yeah, it probably depends what those mobile armors are going to be used for, right? I mean, in this particular circumstance, the Dendrobium is equipped with the ability to defeat the Noyzeal more so than the Eel is equipped to defeat the Dendrobium. But as we see later on, Gato does use the claw eventually to crush the I-Field generator on the Dendrobium. Yeah. And then kind of has code dead to rights again. But that was a good way to spice up the battle for sure.
1: And it's at this point in the movie where we realize there's been a conspiracy. Members of the Federation military have been working with Shima. Shima quickly turns on DeLaz, takes his capital ship, the Guazine, kills all his crew except him. And it looks like they're they're given orders to stand down. Federation's probably going to mop them up or at least arrest them all. And then... um. You know, that'll be a wrap on the mission. Also, they set up a, a solar system. I'm I'm trying to figure out what was the ideal sequence of events for the the Federation conspirators. Was, were they going to pump the brakes on the colony and, and then just have it sit while they cook it with the solar system? And then they can announce the creation of the Titans? I, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the ideal scenario would would have been that the colony didn't fall... Right, that they could have stopped it, <laughs> but I mean, beyond the colony falling, I, I, still think they got pretty much what they wanted, right?
1: The colony falling made no difference because they formed the titans anyway. Right,
0: it just gave them more <laughs> more ammo to to
1: form yeah. the titans. Um, it, it just foreshadowed though how incompetent they ultimately would be, though. <laughs> <right>? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. This
0: part also had one of the one of the funniest lines. It's right before Shima kills the laws. Admiral Cohen even admires the colony drop and he admits that it's a fine colony drop like he says it out loud and i just thought that was uh (laughs) hilarious that like even he knows that the federation really after this one up i mean yeah it was pretty brilliant though you know (laughs) yeah he says something like this is a fine colony drop that incorporates the lessons from the one year war it's bad when you're complimenting the
1: enemy on their novel strategies one of the coolest scenes in this movie is uh, when the Dendrobium whips out like a massive beam saber, and it like goes through a sized bridge and decapitates it. I always thought that was a really cool scene, even though I don't like the Federation too much. It, it, that was pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of you who've never, maybe never watched Double Eighty Three, who don't know what the Dendrobium is, and maybe you're a Gundam Seed fan because it's a little more modern. The Dendrobium is basically the Meteor Units
1: before the Meteor Units. Imagine a meteor unit and then, like, triple it in size <laughs> and give it, like, backpacks and shoulder pads that had, like, tons of missile pods and bazooka pods and stuff like that. All right, so we reach a point in the story now where there's a solar system set up and it's being controlled by a, a fleet led by Basque Ohm from Zeta. And it it isn't given the order to fire, or at least it isn't even known that it's there but until the colony goes past the point of no return based on that information Brian does that mean we assume that a solar system can fry a colony after the point of no return like this was going to be the conspirator's big you know cowboy moment like yeah you know look look what we can do with our new cross-shaped solar system <laughs> we could fry a colony even after the point of no return when it's hours from falling on earth
0: <laughs> that's a good question i definitely felt like they were surprised that the solar system didn't work and, and were disappointed. So, yeah, I think they thought it was going to work, unless I'm misreading the situation.
1: Yeah, the, the sequence of events clearly didn't go the way they wanted. I mean, we, we know that the control ship does get destroyed. Right. But before that, if you remember, Basque Ohm fires it early. Pulls a total
0: gear in and just the same mistake, you know? Shoots his load too early and here we go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, one of his officers pointed out, you know, we're not completely aligned or whatever. We're not fully targeted on the colony yet. And he says, I don't care. I can see it with my own eyes.
0: Yeah, which is what exactly what someone uh, who should not be in charge of a big scientific project
1: like that yeah. would say. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I can see
0: it. Just shoot it. <laughs> it's-
1: yeah, just shoot it. But, I mean, it didn't work out. And I don't remember this in the the original one. But um, we see uh, the Shima Fleets, Gelgoog and Musai is fighting alongside the uh, Bascom's fleet so that was kind of interesting and cool to see speaking of Shima this is the part where she gets one of the most memorable deaths in any Gundam (laughs) series where she's fighting Ko and I guess she was doing okay but she really didn't count on him moving fast enough and he takes his giant beam saber hits her right in the cockpit with such force that her arms actually no I think all of her limbs on her mobile suit fall off and um, yeah she takes a, a direct hit straight to the cockpit
0: yeah, she ate it big time on that one, which is really unfortunate, Isaac. I would have loved to see more of that mobile suit that she was piloting.
1: Yeah, we barely got anything of the Gerbera Tetra. It was, I don't know, it looked like something made for Char.
0: Well, I, some of the listeners may not know this, so I'm going to mention well, it. The Gerbera Tetra is actually Gundam Unit Four with just some new, some new armor. They Zeoned it. Yeah, it was, it was turned into the Isaac version of Gundam Unit Four. <laughs> you can go look up what the Gundam version of unit four would look like. It looks pretty cool. And the Cabrera Tetra looks pretty cool as well. So I wish we had got, you know, even 30 more seconds of that. I've always wondered like why they didn't animate more of that.
1: Yeah. I'm running out of time, I guess in the story or something, right? They had a few episodes left and that was it. How much time can we devote to the sub villains mobile suit?
0: (laughs) I would have liked it if she had like a, you know, tiger upholstery on her chair, on her cockpit chair as well.
1: Oh, that would have been so cool. Or maybe like her flight suit, right?
0: Yeah, Something like that, like <laughs>
1: Andrew <Waltfield.
0: laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what I thought of, too.
1: At this point in the story, Gatto heads towards the control center of the colony. He's going to reprogram it, make sure it lands on North America. But guess who's there for him? It's Nina. And at this point in this story, the movie, it felt like this is the first time you get the revelation that they know each other.
0: Maybe you suspected it before, I'm not really sure. But yeah, this is when they would have confirmed it It's sort of the very end.
1: Yeah, so I felt like that was an interesting twist to throw in if this was your only exposure to 0083. Not a bad choice, pretty interesting. I also forgot that Koshu's Gato. You know, I forgot for the rest of his life and the rest of the movie, Gato fought wounded. I, I completely forgot that he took a bullet to the side.
0: Yeah, I mean, overall, you know, Gato didn't really get beat in this show I'll say fair and square, yeah. right? Because his Noezeel took damage from the uh, solar system, which he did a number on by himself, and then yeah, he gets shot by Ko, kind of not even really looking. So that that's a bit unfair.
1: I, I put in my notes what was the point of shooting the solar system twice, and then I realized if you're Basque um shooting the solar system is its own point. You know <laughs> who cares? Who cares if essentially the, the operation's over, and you know you can probably mop up what's left of Zeon with a couple of gyms or whatever (laughs) at the end of the series though as the colony's falling uh we cut back to cohen and he's on earth looking up at the sky the colony's blue hot it's so hot it turned blue and he says something really interesting he says by this blow history is changed i don't really grasp what that means brian do you have any thoughts on that
0: I thought I was referring to the fact that he knew this would give rise to the Titans.
1: Huh. Interesting.
0: Because I, I would say that Cohen is clearly not a, one that would be a Titan.
1: No. No. If Jalantau points a gun at you, I don't think you'll be invited to the Titans' first <laughs> yeah, meeting. The, you've been voted <laughs> off the island, right? Yeah, pretty much. And speaking of the colony, though... One thing the original series and this movie have in common that's a big mistake, I think, is we never see the colony land on North America, Brian. Hmm. From the bridge of the the Axis uh, capital ship, the Axis flagship, we see that big spark of light, but it's such a wasted opportunity not to show us the colony actually landing at the end of the colony drop.
0: I agree. I, I didn't actually realize that, but you're right. I, I would... Chalk that up there with the same thing as not having enough time for the Gabura Tetra. Maybe they just ran out of time. Uh, maybe they, yeah. you know, they knew. Okay, we get thirteen episodes, and we're at thirteen. Yeah, I guess I would have liked to seen that too. You, you know, you could have taken away a few shots. Carrot code doing something. Um, <laughs> the carrot
1: scene. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it it could be you know too that I'm sure, for example, that Mobile Suit Combat, in the instance of Gabura Tetra, is more complicated, and more expensive to animate. Than just say some characters talking. Probably same thing is true for a, a colony drop. I'm sure that's a bit involved. Because yeah, fundamentally, it seems it seems odd that you, you build the whole time to a colony drop and then you don't actually see it land.
1: Yeah, really interesting that they chose to cut that out. But hey, that's how it goes. Maybe they thought if you've seen one colony drop, you've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> so the story wraps itself up now that everything's over. Essentially, uh, Gato's gone. Our heroes lived and the conspirators essentially announced their victory by Bascom giving a speech about the rise of the Titans. I was looking at the dates of this and what Bascom was saying. He said that the colony dropped three days ago and we were being shown images of almost everyone in the Albion crew wearing the new Titans uniforms. So their uniforms were ready to go before the operation was even done.
0: Well, because it was, you know, it was planned. I mean, they yeah. they had this conspiracy ready to go. They they knew. Yeah, I agree. That's good.
1: It's a good observation. Uh, for whatever reason, Brian, they decided to end the movie on this note. Bascom gives a speech. Co gets sent to prison. <laughs> <laughs> and then they roll credits. <laughs> I had a question about that. So I guess I never go. actually
0: thought about this the first time I watched the show, uh, you know, like 20 years ago or whatever. But is the reason that Co gets imprisoned... Because he shot at Basque's ship at the
1: end? No, that, that ship was so far away anyways.
0: Yeah, but I, I thought, that, I mean, Basque is the kind of guy that would hold a grudge like that.
1: Right. No, I don't think so. I don't think that was it at all. This is part of the reason that uh, sometimes talking about the cumulative movie is different. The compilation movie, I'm sorry, is is difficult when you've seen the original series. In the original one, if you remember, Captain Synapse pretty much tells Federation Command, you know, to go shove it at the end. And he's oh, gonna that's right. you know keep yeah. he's gonna keep fighting Dalaz and Shima. You know, he doesn't recognize Shima as an ally. So I took Cob being sentenced for being you know, the main gun and pilot, really throwing a spanner in the works of their whole plan. Yeah. You know, to to quietly deal with the Dalaz fleet with the solar system and give rise to the Titans. Uh, everybody else in the uh, Albion seemed to go along with, hey, sure, we'll be Titans. Go ahead and execute snaps. <laughs>
0: oh, that's right, because he gets executed, right?
1: Yeah, and if you remember, in the original series, people that also didn't join the Titans were, I forgot the mechanic's name, but we see her back in Australia, right? Not in a Titans uniform. Mm. And then also Keith. Keith decided to stay a test pilot, and he did not join the Titans.
0: Yeah, we, didn't get, we did not get that that part in this film.
1: No, we didn't get our little happy ending.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is a little odd. In the OVA series, we do get a shot of Ko, basically. It's a year later, I, I guess, right? Uh, once his sentence is up. And yeah. He, he's walking back to the base, and Keith waves to him. Keith is still, I think, in the Zaku, right? The pink Zaku?
1: I think it was a khaki Zaku or desert Zaku, but like it's got Keith's heart on it, and he gives like a peace sign.
0: Right, yeah. Does Ko see Nina in the original yes. series at the end. Yeah. So she, yes. He doesn't, he doesn't see her at, at this one. Nope. Ko goes to prison. <laughs> and Nina comes off as a real, you know what, in that scene where she sides with Gato and, and shoots at Ko. Yeah. So if I was to just watch the film, Isaac, I would think that Nina and Ko don't end up together. I would think that's it. Like they, br- that, that, that was the breakup right there.
1: I mean, you're right. Cause that was it in the story. Like, it ends on a tragedy. You know, the, the film's kind of a downer.
0: <laughs> yeah. I actually like that better than Nina and Co getting back together.
1: I'd say it's really appropriate if you know how bad the situation is in the Earth sphere in Zeta with the oppression of the Titans. You know, this is the perfect lead up. Yeah, that's fair. It works in that extent. If I mean, if if you have no attachment to Co and Nina, you don't want to see them, you know, happily ever after. Who cares if they meet each other in a, in Australia? <laughs> I just think it makes more sense. Like, I wouldn't expect them to get back together
0: after what happened on the colony with Gato.
1: Yeah, they've, they've been through a lot. Like, she <laughs> she
0: shot at him. Like, like, isn't that like an end of a relationship if I've ever seen one?
1: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> and that came out of nowhere, too, in the story, right? Like, it was such a surprise reveal that she cared for Gato.
0: Oh, absolutely. It was a surprise in the full-length uh, OVA series. It's even more of a surprise
1: here if you see it here, and, like, this is your first time seeing 0083, you would assume right at the end that Nina reveals herself as a spy almost.
0: <laughs> yeah, or at least very sympathetic to Zeon, or, yeah, it, it, Holy
1: sh**, not only does she know him, but she has a gun, too.
0: <laughs> right, yeah,
1: a life canceler. A life cancel. <laughs> the Anaheim Electronics Standard Issue Life Canceler. <laughs> So that's 0083, Last Blitz of Xeon, a.k.a. the afterglow of Xeon. <laughs> it's, it, it's a pretty unique uh, compilation movie just because of you know it, the stuff that it's missing, the way it did things, and the speed that, that it moves. Overall, I'm glad I saw it. I think it's worth a watch if you enjoyed 0083 or if you saw 0083. If you've seen 0083, you didn't enjoy it too much, do yourself a favor and skip, <laughs> skip afterglow Zeon or last blitz of Zeon. There's one thing I wanted to mention, Isaac. So I'm about to go down
0: a real a real rabbit hole here, Isaac. So prepare yourself. Take me. So there was something I noticed in the beginning of the of the film, and I remember it from watching the series back in the day. So on the Albion, in the beginning, when we're still on uh, still on Earth, still at Torrington, the words UNT Spacey are written on the Albion.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I know where this is going. Please continue. Okay.
0: So, and the UNT Spacey is used on certain other things. Uh, you may see it on like decals for some of your older models, particularly for for shows that are made in the 90s. And then all of a sudden you don't see UNT Spacey on anything else really um, at a certain point. And a few years ago I read a good explanation of this. so I looked it up again. Uh, because I think this is an interesting topic for for, uh, fans of Gundam to, to, to know about. So what the wiki says is that since the franchise started in 79 through about 1998, all the Federation military stuff used UNT and then like Army or, you know, Spacey for Space Force. And the UNT meant United Nations Troops as if the Earth Federation was some sort of natural evolution of the UN uh, which is interesting, right, Isaac? Right. I think that's that's a fair yeah. assumption. They stopped using that name though in 1998, and obviously, 83 was made in I think 90. What do we say? 91, 92. So this is well within the right. time that UNT Spacey would have been around. This show is definitely it has very detailed animation, so you're gonna you're gonna see details like UNT Spacey written on things. I think you, I think it might even crop up in 80 uh, at some point as well. Um, whereas you know, in like the uh-huh. In, like, the original Gundams, Zeta, Double Zeta, uh, the animation isn't quite as detailed to where you would see words scribbled on the Gundams, right? With, like, model numbers and stuff. You know, I I can't, I don't don't ever remember seeing that in, like, Zeta, for example. And so now it's weird because starting in 98 and and beyond, they replaced UNT Spacey with EFF. So now that's why it's called EF uh, Space Force. Uh huh. So EFSF. So that so now you see EFSF on everything, and that's probably what you're more used to seeing. And so it's well known knowledge that they changed from UNT to EFSF or to the EFF, but the, I think they've never really given a, a real reason why. So I've read a bunch of different theories over the years, and one they could have just changed it because they didn't like the name anymore. It's also possible that they changed it because the United Nations forced them to change it indirectly. Because the United Nations, I think, has some clauses that say you cannot use their name either intentionally or unintentionally in a way that they don't approve of. So if you have this, uh, you know, very elaborate sci-fi franchise uh, that's about wars and things, I'm sure the UN would not find it um, flattering that you were perhaps using their name with representatives like Basque Om or uh, Jamitoff. Right. So that could be a reason why Sunrise decided to change it, too. Um, Maybe they got flack from the UN or they were worried from a legal perspective. (laughs) Sued by the UN. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not someone you want to be sued by. A third reason they could have changed it is that, you know, there are two major mecha franchises, Isaac. There is Mobile Suit Gundam and there is um, Macross or Macross. I actually don't know how to say it. Macross. Macross. So Macross uses very similar naming systems. Yes. I believe they have UN Spacey. Yes. And then that led me down to a rabbit hole, because in this show, the Gundam mecha designs were done by two people. GPO-3 and the Dendrobium were done by Hajime Kotoki, which probably everyone listening to this knows. He still designs Gundams today. Uh, he's probably the, the premier Gundam designer of the last 20 years. And the other person who designed GPO-1 and GPO-2, as well as the Albion Isaac, is the creator of Macross, Shoji Kawamori. He is probably one of the most prolific mecha designers in all of anime history. He designed the Outlaw Star, Isaac, ah. one of another, one of our favorite shows. Uh, he he was in the initial pitch meeting along with Shinichiro Watanabe for Cowboy Bebop. How cool is that? So this guy, he's responsible for a lot of mecha stuff. So it's possible that, you know, he slapped on UNT Spacey onto the Albion, onto some of the GPO-1, I think it probably pops up on there, if not in the show, at least on the model somewhere, on the GPO-2, because he's used to using that in his own franchise, and the people that own Macross are very testy with the the IP. There's There's been a few articles written recently about how the legal situation finally got resolved recently, and they're going to release in the West. They've never done that before, um, or at least certain one, certain of the series have never been over here in, like, I don't know, 20 something years, which is nuts. I mean, other companies are releasing all their anime all the time on, you know, we've had, there was a first release on DVDs and then on Blu-rays. This show has been absent over here for so long because they couldn't get the the ownership stuff sorted out. So it's possible that Sunrise decided that they didn't want to have any similarities. So uh, I just think that's a really interesting piece of Gundam, not really lore, just just history, um, how... On the old stuff, you'll see UNT Spacey all the time, particularly in, like, concept art, uh, model art, and then at a certain year, you just won't see it and ever again. And that's why. So I think it's on the wiki. I've read this other places as well, that they've, they've since supposedly retconned UNT to mean something so that they can have a plausible explanation in-universe as to why it's not an error. So apparently it's supposed to mean now under-normal tactical, you got to just take the L there, guys. I don't I don't think you needed to do that. That's
1: terrible. That's the Gundam acronym from Gundam Seed.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not the best acronym, but that said, very interesting. So it sounds like you've noticed UNT Spacey over the years, Isaac. We've never talked about that, listeners, by the way.
1: No, I've never really noticed it, but the moment you mentioned UN Spacey, UNT Spacey, actually, I thought, oh my god, it's the good guys in Macross, Macross Plus. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So... Now we know that the uh, creator, one of the designers, has been uh, showering in a bit of his previous work, you know, trying to to bridge the gap between Gundam and Macross, and uh, who knows what the lore explanation is. Like you said, maybe once the Titans showed up, they said, that's all over. We're running the show now. (laughs) We're going to name things uh, EFSF.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think it's also retroactive, so it's a little confusing. Anyway.
1: Well, my notes on, on The Last Blitz of Xeon, Afterglow Zeon, Xeon, are all done. Anything you wanted to add or questions or thoughts?
0: I, di- I did have a funny realization that, that Gato's nickname is the Nightmare of Solomon, right? But yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have had his nickname for very long, though, during the One Year War, because the war ended a few days later.
1: <laughs> That's true. Like... Maybe during the battle, people were like, "Ah, oh, look, it's no, that doesn't make sense, right?" <laughs> I mean, the battle, the battle wasn't even that long. Like, okay, right. so he had his nickname. You're right; he had his nickname for a few days. It was passed around by Federation troops, right? Yeah. Unless his own troops, his own like fellow pilots called him the Nightmare of Solo. <laughs> You're acting like a real nightmare out there, buddy. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, one of my favorite lines from the film was when. Um When Code takes out the Gundam, uh, after his bad adjustments for space, he says something to the effect of, I would never wreck it. And then he immediately goes out and wrecks
1: it. (laughs) So bad that, like, I think Mancha mentions that the the Luna crew has to work, you know, 24 hours (laughs) to get it (laughs) fixed. (laughs) Yes. All right, Brian, hit us with the review and the scale of horrors on the basis of 10.
0: I'm going to be pretty harsh here, Isaac. Oh, God. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. Wow. <laughs> Let me uh, defend myself here. So Shots fired. <laughs> so I think this film, the pacing is atrocious, Isaac. I would absolutely not recommend this film to anyone who has not already seen the 13 episode OVA series. You, you are not given a whole lot of why things are happening throughout. This is basically just a montage of double 83, you know, compressed into two hours, trying to get to the two hour goal. Again, like I said earlier, the whole thing feels like Nina's hazy memory of the events. I will say the back half was better paced, and that was probably because either I got used to it, or that makes sense in the context that they released this before the last episode came out, so I'm sure they placed more of an emphasis on the last fourth of the film. But I think if you were a someone who's never watched Gundam before, or, or you've never seen W83 before. If you watch this film, you would be very confused and you would either never want to watch Gundam again or you would not want to watch W83 ever again. And that's a shame because the actual 13 episode OVA series of W83 is pretty damn good. The compression just kills it. It kills all char- like you said, all character moments between Ko, Nina, Gato, The only real great character interaction that's left, or I felt that was really left, was the relationship between Ko and Keith. That one I I actually believed the whole time. The rest, I just, I felt it was really weird. Ko and Nina were like hot and cold, just for random, at random points in time for no real reason. Like there was a point where Ko and Nina were like on good terms, and then the next scene, Nina just didn't like Ko anymore. And we clearly missed like a whole episode or two's worth of development between the two to explain that. So it's very strange. Uh, I think that really just ruins the movie. That said, the visuals are still great. I love the visuals, love the background music. Uh, there's a part in the very beginning when the GPO-2 is walking through Torrington, and when Gato's leaving the uh, the hangar bay, or the hangar, and it's walking through the smoke, and it just gives this like sense of menace as he's walking. And I think you get that with the hand-drawn animation. I don't think that scene would look as good today in a, in a modern anime. So the visuals still hold up today. The only thing I wish is I wish it was widescreen. Uh, did you notice that, Isaac? I mean, it's you know, it's not it's not widescreen. Yeah, but so it is, so it goes. It overall has a, a gritty, dirty feel and like a darker color palette, which is great. And all the designs, like I said, you know, they were done by Hajime Katoki and Shoji Kawamori. So you've got great designers, and your noizio was designed by someone named Mika Akitaka. So he, he or she did a great job as well. So the, the visuals really carry this thing. So if you just want to turn your brain off, maybe watch the action, you would really enjoy it. But I think if looking at it from a story perspective, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. And that's why I'm giving it a 4 out of 10. And I would really suggest that if you've never seen Double 83, that you go watch the OVA episodes first. And then if you like it and you're just curious, you could watch this. But I still think if you're gonna spend two hours watching this, I'd rather just spend two hours starting a thirteen episode <laughs> OVA series over again and put it towards that. I don't I guess I don't see a purpose in this film, Isaac. Outside of getting us some ticket sales and at that time, I don't see who this movie is for anymore.
1: Brian, I built up a castle of arguments and you destroyed it with a single blow. <laughs> <laughs> Because everything you said is completely right let me let me let me let me pull up my pants and pull myself off the ground and try to try to put up a, a meager defense. All right. this movie is for someone that saw double eighty three and thought to themselves, "You know what?" I'd like kind of a rewatch of like the fights and stuff, the battles, but I really don't want to see a lot of Nina and Co and, you know, pointless pointless life of the of, of the crew members and stuff like that. Yeah. That's exactly what this movie will give you. But if you're a Gundam fan and like you have friends that maybe watch anime but they've never seen Gundam, don't you Dare introduce Gundam to them by showing them this movie because <laughs> it is not very good. Show them, show them Iron Blooded Orphans. Show them Unicorn. Something, not this though. This is as far as pace wise, th- this is like a sprint of a story. We just run from one event to the other. It's it's the rise of Skywalker of Gundam. <laughs> all right. So that said, I enjoyed it as someone that saw Double Eighty Three because I got to see all my favorite battles and. Cool mobile suits and stuff, mobile armors, except the Valvaro. What a crime. Uh, <laughs> I got to see them all really quickly in the space of two hours. But, yeah, it's it's not perfect. And for that reason, on a scale of five, I'd give it three horos. It's a bit middle of the road. For you're Double 83 fans, check it out. If not, just go see Double 83. you haven't seen it before, you're going to be better served, just like Brian said. But overall, I'm, I'm glad we gave it a try, Brian, and actually got to see what Last Blitz of Xeon, what, what Afterglow Globe Xeon was actually about, because we'd heard about it for years. We'd never seen it. We had no idea. We, to an extent, we went in blind, even though we'd seen 0083, but um, I'm, I'm glad we got to experience it. And now we'll put on the shelf next to F91, where we'll never see it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're right. I am glad that we saw it, uh, just to kind of check it off the box. I'm, what I also like is that, that Sunrise put it up for free on YouTube.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> they're not going to get any sale.
0: Well, I, th- I just I think we need more of that for the old stuff. Right. Like, it's really hard for someone to watch Double Zeta without buying the DVDs. And yeah, th- that's a lot to ask for people. And so I feel like th- this is a good trend. Like I'm, I'm glad that they put it on YouTube. I'm hoping that they put other things on YouTube like this, that that maybe otherwise th- they wouldn't sell, or that otherwise people wouldn't watch
1: things that'll never turn a profit, and yet it's content sitting around.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got this on the shelf. It's all subbed. Just put it out there, and they and they did. So, so I appreciate the effort, even if I don't think the movie's that great.
1: That said, though, beautiful animation, great music. Cool battles, mobile suits. It, to an extent, that's really the heart of why we watch anime. You know, st- I mean, story overall could have done a little bit more polishing. But <laughs> yeah, who needs that story? Just give me the mecha fights. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what? For having a bunch of episodes lying around, it's not terrible. It's watchable.
0: Oh, it's watchable. I, you know, it's, just... it's
1: watchable. But there's other things to watch.
0: <laughs> well, I think the I think the problem, Isaac, is that there's a very complex plot afoot here. And uh-huh. if it was, like, a more straightforward, like, bad guy, or, like, good guy must go beat up bad guy, then maybe you could get away with this. But there's a lot happening right. in this, and to to condense it down to two hours,
1: to, you know, doesn't help that, that understanding of that plot. You're right. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything to defend that. You're just right. <laughs> Yeah, we missed a, we missed a lot, but if you're if you're looking there for you know just a quick quick series of battles and mobile suit combat with great animation and music, this is the movie for you. Other than that, though, d- don't expect a good, well well done story because it's it ends on a downer too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> go go get the DVDs. Watch the uh, watch the OVA series is my suggestion.
1: Man, overall, uh, I, I think I think both of our ratings, even though they're pretty different to an extent, they're both right in their own ways. Yeah,
0: so this is what this is my suggestion, Isaac. I don't want listeners to feel that Double Eighty Three is a bad show. So I think no. we're gonna we're gonna let it breathe for a while, and we'll come back and we'll
1: watch the series. Yeah, that series is a great series, listeners. If you're on the fence about Double Eighty Three, go see the series. Don't see this. Watch the full series. You're gonna have a great time. Yeah,
0: let this be a reminder that you should watch the series yeah. as it shows up on YouTube. You can see, oh, gun Double Eighty Three. I've never watched that. Just don't watch this. Go watch actual the thirteen episodes
1: exactly. You'll have a way better time.
0: And I should point out just and just to clarify, I don't think that the person who edited this into 2 hours did a bad job. I think they actually did a good job. It's just that this it's an unachievable task what they were trying to do.
1: Yeah, I would say you're right, you know. Uh, at the end of the day though, you, you got to work with what you got and <laughs> the, the editor right. clearly, like you said, maxed it out as much as he could, but <laughs> One hour, 59 minutes, baby. You can't squeeze a semi-truck into your garage. I don't care nope. how much you mm-hmm. try, how much time they give you.
0: I mean, you could put it in your garage. It's just that your garage is going to be a lot bigger after you put it in there.
1: Yeah. Going to be damaged. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're you're not, you're going to, you know, your house is going to be uh, all messed up. So, so it goes.
1: But you know what? It is what it is. Glad we got to see it, Brian. It was cool.
0: I did. It was a fun time. All right, listeners. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Isaac, take us away.
1: All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast episode. Before you go to bed tonight, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail Zion.
0: Good night, everybody.